All right, well, as mentioned, we will be in Acts chapter 15 and beginning at verse 36. We have the slide. Brother Larry has provided us with each of these slides as we continue our study. And you can see that where we're going to be is way from Antioch up through to Philippi on top of that. So you get a sense of the geography. But, uh, you know, I feel like uh, I'm compelled to start actually in the book of Philippians. Now, um, it is of some significance that much of what we see in the book of Philippians uh, applies to what we're going to be considering uh, this morning in terms of the lessons that we can learn from the life of the Apostle Paul. And, uh, you know, we learn lessons not only from the successes of others, uh, but also from the failures of others. Um, The latter is important because After all, we don't have time in this life to make all the mistakes, right? So, you know, we learn from the mistakes of others, and uh, we will be looking at that this morning. But I wanted to start out just so, you you know, you don't think I'm kind of being hypercritical of the subject of our study uh, this uh, summer. in chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, because uh, we think about Paul often, I think, about him being struck down on the road to Damascus in this marvelous way that he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved from being a persecutor of the church to being the great promoter of the church. and, uh, And we think, I'm going to try to do a Trent imitation here, but I don't think I can really. And then, bam! He is just automatically a totally mature, absolutely ongoing, totally, we almost would say perfect uh, apostle, disciple. But, no. And he didn't claim to be. We read this morning, or Brother Larry read this morning from Romans chapter 7, of his own assessment of his life as he gets introspective there. Oh, wretched man that I am. And he used the same present tense to describe himself as the chiefest of sinners and also the least of the apostles. Um. He perhaps came to some of that because of some of the things that he encountered where he didn't necessarily triumph in them. So, Philippians chapter 3, and we'll, uh, for context, read verse 7 onward. But what things were gained to me, Paul said, these things I have counted lost for Christ, but indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. The proper uh, term from Barbados, I think, victory, rubbish. And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. We're certainly seeing that as we go through the uh, study this summer. The fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, that cruciformity that we talk about. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, and here's the part I wanted to zero in on as we uh, look at this portion in the book of Acts. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on 
that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay. So we see that Paul had not yet attained, even when he was writing the book of Philippians some years later while he was in a Roman prison. And, of course, we will see him in jail in our portion this morning. So back to Acts chapter 2. Now, when we think about looking at the life of someone, and if we were write a biography, we have to look at their, that person's relationship. Don't all exist in a bubble. We exist and we interact with others. And it is in those interactions that our character is both revealed and developed. And so, uh, I'm going to take this uh, portion and uh, look at it in terms of Paul's relationships and uh, see what lessons we can learn from those relationships. Again, not all of this is positive. Most of it is. But some of it is uh Well, not positive. (laughs) And some of it is a bit of a conundrum to me, but we'll look at it together and see what lessons that we can learn. The first uh, relationship that is prominent here, actually, is Paul's relationship to the assembly, particularly those, of course, that he, he founded, but also those which he had uh, visited, whether he founded them or not, and uh, even particularly the assembly at Antioch, his sending church. And uh, so we'll see through this chapter, verse 36 was where we start out in chapter 15. We back up just one verse, you know, Paul and Barnabas had returned from the council uh, in Jerusalem, as you considered uh, last week in our brother David's teaching. And uh, he and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Great verse for uh, the idea of developing gift in the assembly. And then we read, then after some days, we don't know exactly how many, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. We'll drop down to verse 41. Uh, After the uh, conflict that he had with uh, Barnabas, it says, And he went, that is, Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Into chapter 16 and verse 5, after he had picked up Timothy and was continuing his journey, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. That is, the members. The believers increased in number daily. Finally, to bookend this in our study, at the end of chapter 16, after he had gone through the uh, episodes, the events in Philippi, says in verse 40, So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So Paul had a great uh, 
uh, affection for the assemblies. Individual members of the assembly, for sure, but the assemblies collectively as well. He would be the one that would that God would use to uh, communicate the great mystery of the church, that Jew and Gentile would be, become one body. And would, he would use Paul to teach the great truths of assembly gathering and how we uh, comport ourselves in the assembly. And all of these uh, great truths that we have that govern uh, our relationship together uh, as an assembly, as a local body of Christ. Paul was the great trailblazer of the gospel, for sure. The gospel was always on his heart, on his lips. But when you think about it, when we read his epistles, when we read his letters, they're not directed to the world as a whole. There's great teaching in there. There's amazing things and statements made in there, explanations of the gospel. But they were directed to those who were already believers. Most of them were directed to assemblies as a group. Now he does mention, particularly in the great treatise on the gospel of Romans, he mentions a lot of individuals there in the, that he would remember and give greetings to and that sort of thing. But he was always concerned with the health of the assembly. How are they doing? He said, let's go find out how they're doing. And even when he wrote to the individuals, they with the exception of maybe Philemon, which is a special case, but when he wrote to Timothy and Titus, one of his main subjects in dealing with them was the assembly. They were give instruction to the leadership of it, how people are to function within it, and uh, always, always, always wanting to strengthen the assemblies. So that's his his relationship to that. Uh, he knew that God. God had impressed upon him that it was through the, uh, the local church, through the uh, assemblies, that the gospel would continue to go forward. And we see that, of course, even to our present day, that it's, it's through assemblies sending out others to take the gospel, even where it's never been proclaimed. And that would not be possible were it not for the local assemblies where training is accomplished and uh, even the desire to spread the gospel is nurtured. So that's Paul's relationship to the assemblies. Very important in his life and obviously the lesson there for us is that it should also in our lives that we value the assembling of ourselves together, not forsaking it as the exhortation in Hebrew says, and that we cherish it, we nurture it, because it is through this gathering that we are able to develop 
more godly character, that we are able to press on as Paul was doing for the high calling set before us. Now, here's the we must treat this uh, section, and the Holy Spirit has allowed the historian Luke, has inspired him to put down this conflict that happened between Paul and Barnabas. Let's read about it in verse 37. Now Barnabas was determined, so Barnabas was in line with Paul on this would be a great thing to do to go back to these churches which were established in the first our first journey out and let's go back and see how they are doing and uh, help them out. Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Well, we know from the account that Mark had gone out with them on that first journey, but he didn't last too long. And he retreated back to assembly in Jerusalem. We're not really given too much detail about that. But that's what Mark did. He set his hand to the plow and he turned back. Paul insisted that they should not take him with him. The one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them. To the work. To Paul, this was an extremely serious violation and a demonstration of unfaithfulness. And as we read through his epistles, we know what a high uh, evaluation Paul would put on characteristic of faithfulness teach faithful men so that they might teach others also, told Timothy. And so he didn't feel that Mark, Mark had been put through the test and in Paul's evaluation of it, failed the test. So why should we take this guy with us? Well, the, in verse 39, and obviously Barnabas was feeling the other way. God is a God of second chances. We should give this man, this young man, another opportunity. He will come through with us, probably. We'll come through. God will take, take him and strengthen him and we can help him. Well, the contention became so sharp that they parted one from the other. To me, that one statement is one of the low points in Paul's ministry. Let's just rehearse quickly how close Barnabas and Paul were. Because this is not just you know, two guys that just happened to meet, you know, in the assembly there. These guys have been through the ringer together. Recall that Barnabas first introduced Paul to the Jerusalem believers when they were afraid of this persecutor of the church that is now coming in claiming to be one of us. Barnabas took him in. And verified that Paul had indeed become a child of God. That he was indeed a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Barnabas was later sent out by the Jerusalem assembly to Antioch. And he had great success both encouraging the believers and in the gospel there. So what did he do? He sought out Paul. Went to Tarsus, brought him back to Antioch, where the two of them taught for a year together. And together, they took the necessary support that was given to the believers in Jerusalem when 
they were in need. Then the Holy Spirit directed that the two of them be sent out together. And they went through all the successes and sufferings that our brother Dan outlined for us in that first missionary journey. At the end of that journey, they stayed a long time together back at their home assembly in Antioch. Together. Chapter 15, third last week again, finds them doing battle with the Judaizers together. And they were sent together to the Jerusalem uh, conclave there where they gave testimony together of what the Lord had done through them. Need I emphasize it again? Together. They were. And then even after they left that conclave, then they were sent with the letter together. Went back to Antioch and remained there again teaching and preaching the word of the Lord together. But the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. There are a lot of one another's in Scripture that we are encouraged to do. Love one another. Care for one another. This is not one of those one another's that we are encouraged to do. Again, the Holy Spirit through the pen of Dr. Luke does not sugarcoat this situation at all. Because the terms the term that's used here is one of deep conflict. It wasn't a situation where these two guys just said, Okay, understand, we'll agree to disagree, I'll go take Paul would say, I'll go take Silas and you go and take Mark and all the best to you and that type of thing. You don't see that here. Paul did grow through this experience. Mark certainly did. See that when we consider Paul's relationship specifically with him. Now, one I would point out to you that one of the well, there are two things I noticed that were not present here that perhaps had they been, this uh, could have been resolved in a more amicable fashion. One, of course, is that we don't see either of them, at least it's not recorded specifically, that either of them prayed concerning this situation. They each had their own opinions concerning John Mark. Each had their own thoughts on how valuable he might be to their ministry in strengthening the churches. They didn't seek the Lord's guidance, at least as far as the record to us. And then the other thing that's interesting that's not mentioned is that there were no intercessors or counselors. This very vibrant assembly where there are a multitude of teachers and even prophets among them. Paul would later in Philippians, as I mentioned, there's much in there about this type of thing, would uh, encouraged the believers there when there were these two bickering ladies that were working in the gospel together and had worked in the gospel together with Paul but had come to some conflict, had encouraged the believers there in Philippi to hey, get with these ladies. 
if you can help them out. So those two things were missing. Uh, but the thing that Scripture does tell us that they did part from one another. Now Paul's attitude concerning this situation as we go on, and particularly what he would write to various uh, assemblies, Colossians chapter 3, it would be total subjection, uh, you know, using our imagination, we could say that perhaps reflecting on his parting with Barnabas would be uh, thought of while he was writing these things. But we don't know that for sure, but we do know that this is how Paul has told us to handle these situations because it is... uh, the nature of our living here on this side of glory that there will arise times of conflict, times of agreement. And so he says in chapter 3 of Colossians, this is what he told them, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. Anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Must do. And then in, just hit a few of these, there's many of these types, same types of instructions. In the book of Ephesians, same type of thought, chapter 4. I'm going to spend an inordinate amount of time on this one episode, but it is so crucial for us. As I'm being let We'll back up to verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Won't go into all the aspects that he brings out, of course, in the epistle of 1 Corinthians letter about no division, no schism. Try to resolve these issues in love. And then just one other time in the book of Philippians because that does have special meaning to us this week. Book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then, of course, those verses that uh, precede uh, Christ's great... uh, the kenosis passage where he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, chapter 2, verse 2, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, leaving the relationship with Barnabas just with this one closing thought that, as we'll see with Mark, 
there was total restoration between Paul and John Mark. We don't know about the relationship with Barnabas and Paul, because Barnabas pretty much leaves the scriptural accounts. So we don't know. Could have been, hopefully so, as Paul would apply his own exhortations to the situation. It's also interesting that the Holy Spirit doesn't tell us who they both thought they were right. Sure, they left with that attitude. But if they left with that attitude, they were both wrong. Okay. All right, concerning Mark, we know that there was total restoration, that, that later on uh, Paul would write to both the Colossians and also to Timothy about how uh, beneficial John Mark uh, is to him. and Even his last uh, wishes as recorded in Second Timothy, he was told to grab a hold of John Mark and bring him to him for he would be useful for him in his ministry. Uh, a lesson here from just quickly from the life of John Mark because as we saw uh, he was initially a bit of a failure in terms of his ministry going out with these guys and yet turning back so one great lesson for that Paul would give us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 And verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. We cannot think that just because we may have failed once or twice or a multitude of times, God cannot use us, still use us, as we allow him through his grace to correct us and to have us grow in his things. Okay. We need to touch briefly on Paul's relationship to Timothy. He does pick pick him up here in chapter 16. John Mark, not being there, not being the young disciple there for the two older guys to develop, uh, Paul was probably looking for someone to take his place, and he found him in the person of Timothy. Uh, so let's read about that then. In, Verse uh, chapter 16 and verse 1. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep those which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And as we read, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now you can uh, compare and contrast Timothy with Mark at this time, not Mark uh, later on, but uh, Paul did find in him one who he would describe as his beloved son in the faith. He would find one who he would describe as one like-minded as him when there were no others that would fit that description. He had no one that came close to 
uh, imitating Paul as he imitated Christ as Timothy did. It's interesting that as we think about Acts demonstrating the gospel going out to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, that Timothy is kind of a picture of that just in his own heritage, isn't he? He's both Jew and Greek. So he is, in that sense, one body of both Jew and Gentile. Now, um, there is this, and I just describe it as a conundrum to me, because I've seen a lot of explanations as to why it was, including the explanation, of course, that's given here in Scripture, as to why it was that Paul would circumcise Timothy when he they had just gone over that issue in Jerusalem, and they had this letter in hand, and it said, circumcision no more. But there it is. Um, the reason that it particularly comes a little fuzzy as to why Paul would do that is the explanation given is that the Jews in that area knew his father was Greek. And so, you know, the idea is if he was going to go teach these people, they would want him to be circumcised. Probably wasn't even though he was considered a Jew because his mother was a Jew. Well, it's cloudy in my mind because they weren't going to stay in that area too long. <laughs> it's, just, it's just an interesting conundrum. But I will leave you with this one thought. It occurred to me that this was a demonstration of Timothy's commitment to the ministry. Not that Paul did this as a Yes, for sure. But we can say, use the earthiness of this, but that he was certainly willing to, in a real way, to give of himself for ministry. So, uh, going on now, they've picked up uh, Timothy in their group, and interestingly enough, they also, as they, uh, as we can see in verse 10 of chapter 16, the historian uh, Luke joins them because we have the reference, the pronoun we in that, uh, in verse 10. So let's talk briefly about Paul's relationship to the Holy Spirit because this is the next thing that comes up in our portion. And that so they had gone through, in verse uh, 6, they had gone through uh, Pergia and the, Galatia, and the region of Galatia and were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now that's just the Roman province of Asia, which is uh, kind of southeast of uh, where they were, and they had come to Mysa. They tried to go into Bithynia. Now, that's, no, Asia was kind of in the southwest, and Bithynia was in the southeast of what is currently northeast of the, what is currently Turkey. And they were prevented by the Holy Spirit. We're not told exactly how that took place, but it was clear to them that the Holy Spirit was giving them guidance not to uh, travel into those areas. And so they had negative guidance from the Holy Spirit, but then they were, Paul was given a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia, in verse 9, who stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So this was, they determined uh, that the Lord had called their group which would include Silas and Timothy, now Luke, and of course the Apostle Paul, preached the gospel in Macedonia. Now we do make a big point about this is the gospel going forth into Europe. And so it is in today's current geography. I don't think it mattered that much to them that it was what we would now consider part of 
Europe as opposed to that which would be considered in Asia. But uh, they, so they followed that, uh, that direction. Visions do play a pretty big part in the guidance uh, in the early church in the, in the book of Acts. We know Peter's situation with Cornelius. There were visions involved there. Paul had uh, uh, some uh, other visions. And, uh, you know, do people get guidance by visions these days? Well, just leave this one thought with you that Proverbs tells us that out a vision that people perish. So uh, a physical manifestation of somebody that you would identify as a particular person, perhaps not. But God gives us uh, enough direction to give us a, a vision that is a, uh, a desire to serve him in whatever capacity that might describe for us. Uh, one thing about the guidance of the Holy Spirit is Paul was subject uh, to that and honored that. So that's his relationship in, th in this uh, section. Even though, as we will shortly encounter, it led to another period of suffering. Uh, we are given general guidance in Scripture, of course. God gives us a lot of standing orders. Who's in the health field will know about that. You know, the doctor gives standing orders in the hospital for certain things. They don't have to go and give those orders every day. They're there. You know what they are. Uh, God gives us standing orders uh, in terms of how he wants us to live our lives, not specifically as to uh, you know, where we might live or what job we might have, but he does give us guidance through his word as to uh, how we are to live. Okay, so in our remaining time, we're going to quickly look at Paul's relationship to unbelievers with three examples. First one is Lydia, of course, uh, Paul's relationship with unbelievers was he always sought out seekers. That is, he went to those who already had a desire to know something about God. He would go to them first, generally speaking, if they were to be found. And he did find some here by the riverside in Philippi. Apparently, there, was not enough, there were not enough uh, Jewish men there to form a synagogue. And so they met by the riverside to uh, pray. And Paul found that, and his group found that out. And it says in verse 13, we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So it was a collective thing. They were all speaking to these uh, various women. And verse 14 says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, who was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. She was a seeker. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So we know that she accepted the gospel message and was baptized and as a demonstration of her uh, new life in Christ, she desired to have uh, hospitality with the group. She constrained them to stay in her house. So then there's another encounter that's given to us. This was a servant girl, a slave, who was possessed by not only her masters, but also, unfortunately, by a demon. And uh, her masters were making money off of her because a demon was, at least in their marketing of her, was uh, them, they had held her out as being a fortune teller. Uh, still a lot of that going on today, of course. Uh, it's interesting that she 
went about for uh, many days, it says in verse 18. And uh, what she was saying as Paul and them were going about was that these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us some versions, most might even say the way of salvation. I don't think that's in the original. So the message that she was really giving out was not a complete message. It wasn't that they were showing her the way of salvation, but the demon was saying a way of salvation. But be that as it may, she was an annoyance to Paul. And uh, as with the Lord gospel accounts, when the demons would recognize him as being who uh, he said he was, that is the very son of God, uh, Jesus would not accept their testimony, wouldn't validate uh, demonic activity as being something that would that he would uh, want to uh, promulgate. And so it was with Paul. And so he, in the name of Jesus, not in his own power, but in the name of Jesus, commanded the demon to come out. That, of course, upset the uh, masters, these uh, merchandisers. They had seen that they were getting a good profit from this gal. They saw that as Paul as interfering with that, and so they caused a, uh, a ruckus there. You see that we see that often in the book of Acts, whether it's conjured up by folks like this who are mad about losing their profit or the Jews who are upset about uh, Paul not uh, holding to uh, Jewish traditions, that sort of thing, and preaching the Lord as Messiah. So this was pretty much the same thing. A multitude was stirred up. They stirred him up by uh, prejudice against the Jews. These guys are Jews. They're coming in here upsetting the apple cart and uh, caused big uh, conf a configuration there. And uh, so magistrates come in immediately uh, without Paul and Silas being given the opportunity to make a defense. I found them guilty and had them beaten and thrown into the inner prison. So, the final uh, unbeliever that is encountered is, of course, the famous uh, encounter with the Philippian jailer. Uh, just read this uh, portion here. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying after having been beaten and thrown into the inner prison and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. Keeper of the prison awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he, that is the jailer, called for a light, ran in, and fell down, tumbling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That great question that everyone needs to ask at some point in time in their lives. What must I do to be saved? And so they answered the gospel in a nutshell here. They would... Uh, magnify on this and explain it more, but they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, both you and your household. And then as they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So then he did, of course, accept the gospel message. He had requested a light and Paul and Barnabas gave him not a physical light, but the gospel, the great gospel light. 
it illuminated his heart. And so there were there was founded in the city of Philippi a group of believers, uh, not necessarily ones who would have gathered together otherwise, but there they were, and as we saw that Paul, when they were finally dismissed from the jail, Paul wanting the magistrates to do it openly, so they did, and uh, Paul wouldn't leave town, though, until he had gone back to the house of Lydia and strengthened the believers there. So the example of, we'll close with this uh, thought, as we see Paul's relationship with uh, unbelievers, uh, we need to also be looking for opportunities to identify those who we come in contact with who are God-seekers, who have an interest in spiritual things. If they don't, we can continue to interact with them until they perhaps do have an interest. And then uh, we proceed to give them the gospel light, even though we are we have that light in earthen vessels. Close with one other thought from the book of Philippians, of course. Paul lived out what he wrote to the Philippians in terms of this statement as we see with him and Silas in the prison beaten and shackled rejoice in the Lord always and again I will say rejoice so that should be our lesson from Paul as well as we conclude uh, this session let us be people who are rejoicing. And uh, regardless of circumstances, find ourselves in. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you for the example and the life of Paul, of uh, things both positive and uh, perhaps negative as well. But we thank you for these lessons that the Holy Spirit has given to us pray that you might help us apply these things to our lives. We do uh, thank you again for the assembly here. Thank you for each one who plays such an essential part of the body here. Pray that we might encourage and exhort one another as we seek to press on for the high calling of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his most precious name. Amen.